2: This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. It's award season, and we're re-listening to some of our favorite interviews with Oscar winners. Cameron Crowe won his Oscar for Almost Famous. In his speech, he gives a nod to Billy Wilder. Stay listening to our conversation to hear just how that friendship came about. Imagine it's the 1970s, the golden years of rock and roll. And you are one of the biggest rock stars in the world. Let's say you're David Bowie. And this cutting-edge magazine that everyone in the industry is taking notice of sends a reporter to interview you. And in walks a 16-year-old boy. Cameron Crowe is still probably best known for his personal story. A child prodigy who convinced Rolling Stone to let him embed with rock superstars at age 16, as told in his brilliant coming-of-age movie, Almost Famous, for which he received an Academy Award for Best Screenplay. But before he won that Oscar, Cameron Crowe spent his high school years on tour with the legends of rock.
3: My dream kind of ended with a story on the cover of Rolling Stone. I was like, that may never happen. And then it happened when I was sixteen. Right. So it was like, okay, let's recalibrate the dream. But when you when you go to make movies, was that inevitable? Did you always say um, that's
2: what I'm going to do? No,
3: no. That How was did that bonus. happen? That was a bonus thing. That was uh, coming from a family that worshipped Mike Nichols and Elaine May, and that stuff was playing. And my mom would take me to see Carnal Knowledge on opening weekend, argue with the theater owner to like get me in. <laughs> I'll take him outside if anything's coming up. Of course, yeah. she's like, stay, don't leave. She wants me to see it all. And, um, and so movies were a big part of our world. And Jan and Ben Torres kept me doing stories that were inching towards cinema. So I got to kind of blend a little bit. Were you thinking cinema during that time? Starting to, because um, I loved Sissy Spacek. Loved Carrie and loved, um, you know, what she was starting to do with Altman And so as a fan, Coal Miner's Daughter daughter came together while we were on assignment for a cover story for Rolling Stone. It was Annie Leibowitz and me and Sissy who said, oh, let's go see Loretta Lynn. I have to turn her down for this project. She's been trying to get me to do her life story for six months. So I have to go and actually face to face say no. Well, come with me. So we all go. Yeah, cover that. So we road trip to a Loretta Lynn show with Sissy Spacek. Alec, Loretta Lynn closed Sissy in about 10 minutes. It's like as soon as she saw Sissy, they got into it, boom, she was going to play that part that won her an Oscar. And it was just one of those great moments where I get to be fly on a wall for this stuff and starting to see how films happen. Mm-hmm. But um, that was a dream that was really far away at
2: that Does time. it also time out when Jan leaves the West Coast and goes to New York? Does it all kind of come together where you're like, you're done with that now that Jan's, you're not going to New York? You ever talk about going to New York? No, I was kind or of, continuing
3: with them, and you live on the West Coast. I stayed in L.A. and uh, kind of worked in that office, and and stayed independent because I didn't want to be somebody who would be given an assignment and have to do it. So I was always kind of a freelancer, but I had an editor position, so it was kind of the perfect thing. And then it grew into the idea of telling the story about kids from a kid's point of view. And I had been writing all these stories about, like, Rod Stewart and Crosby, Stills and Nash. And, and you would hear them talk about the fans. And you would see the fans follow them through these situations. But at a certain point, I was kind of like, let's just, let's just turn the observation over to those people who follow Rod Stewart, for example. And, it, and the stories just became endless, just interviewing people. And that grew into a desire to capture characters. In the first – you wrote the book Fast Times mm-hmm.
2: and, and it wasn't a novel. It was a real it's like story. A, it's
3: a nonfiction novel. Nonfiction
2: novel. Yeah. You're the Truman Capote of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Who tells you you're going to make that as a movie? How does it become a movie?
3: Um, Art Linson and Irving Azoff and a few people that, that kind of knew the music world and knew my writing liked the book a lot. And Art Linson, I remember, really loved Spicoli, the surfer. Sure. And that always felt like a great character, if we were able to get the right guy to do it.
2: Sean isn't necessarily somebody who comes in and nails the reading. He wasn't necessarily yeah. the guy.
3: Yeah. And, uh, and we heard, like, oh, there's this guy. He's like, kind of a young De Niro guy. He's really good. He's from Malibu. Let's, let's read him. So he came in. And there were three of us in the room. And he said, I, I know how to do this part. We're like, great. do it. Have it? Like, no. I'll do it when you hire me. Yeah. I'm not giving you my shit. <laughs> For some reason, we just decided to hire him without ever seeing <laughs> him do it. It was kind of like, what the fuck happened? And and he was stayed in character the whole movie. Yeah. He had us call him Jeff. And I would try and get him to do parts of the character before it was time to actually film. Wouldn't do it. And then he just busted out with the character on the day and we're like, Oh my God, this is the guy.
2: That's Spicoli.
3: Like, yeah, yeah. It's like a documentary version oh, it of Spicoli. Is. Hard to believe that that's him. To... You go see
2: yeah. other, you know, with other chameleon things he did: Falcon and the Snowman and things like yeah. that. Very strange. Uh, when did you meet? Him? Uh, I met him. I don't remember when I met him, but I remember first seeing him there. And thinking he was like this uh uh you know, crazy comic genius. Yeah. He was like a Peter Sellers to me almost. You know, yeah. He just completely o- f- occupied the character. You know, and all the classic lines that I don't want to bore everybody with, but for, for people who are, are not familiar with the movie, you know, People on Lewd Should Not Drive, all that stuff. We all were gagging like laughing. We watch everybody watches Fast Times. You watch the movie for Sean Penn's performance, and we would just be gagging, laughing. And there, was, and there was some really, and in the middle of the, the the laughing and in the middle of the kind of madness of it, and 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 Ray Walston and ordering the pizza and everything, is is Jennifer Jason Leigh's story. And I made a
3: movie with her, and, and who's yeah. there's, there's nobody deeper than her. She's one of the yeah.
2: deepest actresses I've ever worked with, and very yeah. real.
3: Yeah, she's cool. She was ready for the movie to be even more raw and real. I mean, there was. Some conversation when the movie first came out that, like, this is a hard R. This is really more than we want to see from our young kids today. And she was the first one to say, like, I wish it was X. There was there was nudity on me that they cut out that I wish they'd kept in, which which was like yeah. rare, super bold and like, yeah. you know, visionary, knew where she was headed. The thing, though, was Tannen and all those guys going,
2: yeah, yeah. this movie is like, we're, you know, we're going to release oh, it in 200 yeah. theaters. This is a piece of crap or whatever. Yeah. We, don't, we, we shouldn't be making movies like
3: this. We, we snuck it through. And when they started to see it, they realized that Amy Heckerling had gone for the raw truth, you know, of like what Jennifer Jason Leigh's character had gone through, gotten pregnant and an abortion. And Amy had this brilliant kind of take on it, which was, let's just show it. How was it for you when you saw it? OK, Amy, it was like this. Let's shoot that. So she had this very naturalistic, funny approach that when people saw it, they laughed. The thing, though, was Bacoli was our magic. That was our bit of magic. And, and the studio and the people involved in the movie, maybe Art, Art Linson knew the potential there. But everybody who made those plans, like on opening weekend, we're going to drive around. We're going to get together. We'll pick you up. We'll pick you up. We'll come and get you. We'll all go together. We'll get like two cars. We'll caravan. As it gets closer to the, to the weekend that the movie comes out, it's like, <laughs> uh, I'm going to be out of town. Um, are you going to go? I can't make it. So it turned out nobody would go and do like a victory tour <laughs> no. of the theaters for Fast Time. So I got in a car and drove to Arizona to, to go to my friend's wedding that I didn't think I would be able to go to. Oh, was I available to go to his wedding? And I went with a buddy and we start to get close to Phoenix, Tucson, where we're going and, and we're like, let's go to a theater. Let's just see the empty theater showing Fast Times. We go in. It's packed. There's already kids who have gotten the checkerboard vans, gone to the right, mall, right, right, gotten right, right, them right, and come right. back to see the movie. And, and I was sitting Spicoli there going, is the fucking Spicoli yeah. d- drives them into the theater and, and, and saves the movie, really. They never caught up because they, they cut our theaters at the last minute. They were like, nobody in the East Coast is gonna go see this movie. And then like, those theaters ended up being packed. Right. You'd never written a screenplay before. I had not. You wrote the book. I how took, did the people, even though it's a small movie, how I do you you've get- have done this research, Alec. You're like the busiest
2: guy, But and how, did you, how did they get you to do that? I mean, how did you get them cheapest to you the guy screenplay?
3: available. It's like right. they bought the, the book and they were like, we're not on let money write it. let him write it. Right. Let him write it. We'll give we can him $12. pay him $12 and maybe he'll pay us 15 <laughs> Coffee if we and ask donuts him. for a Coffee. week. Coffee. Was Amy on board then or were you, did you work no. with her? script no. was done. Script was done and uh, Tom Mount, again, the guy at Universal, was kind of our secret uh, patron, you know, helping us out and everything, said, I got this great idea who could direct it. He's done this film Eraserhead. He's really a talented guy. David Lynch is his name. And uh, I saw Racerhead. Of course, Racerhead's amazing. I'm like, you know, if he'll read the script, absolutely. So I give him the script and he was really great about it. And David Lynch like drove back a couple days later in a in – a, I believe it was a white VW bug and very politely said, fun story, not really what I think I'm going to be doing. It's a bad David Lynch. But he, he – he, appreciated it enough so that they kept looking and then amy had done this short called getting it over with mm-hmm. about a young girl losing her virginity it was fantastic and so we're like let's let's go gorilla lo-fi and make it what do you write after fast times
2: we did Wait, um, when you, so you wrote the screenplay the film comes out and eventually becomes this kind of this cult classic comedy so is it, are you like fully smitten then you're like i'm going down that road now far
3: less Rolling Stone essays, that kind of writing. I always feel like it's been journalism all the time, but it was kind of you know amorphous trying to get to what the story would be. I was trying to tell other people's stories, but The More Almost Famous became utterly personal. The more it became, the movie it should be. Well, wasn't
2: there something before Almost Famous in between? You yeah, did?
3: many, but it's like that was the first thing that I went that was to after Fast Times. Court. It's like oh, I want to get into the music. You thing. started creating that characters and music because it was so fun putting the music on Fast Times that you could take a song like Somebody's Baby, which like in this part of the movie it's just kind of nice pop, but if you put it over a kid having premature ejaculation, all of a sudden. <laughs> It's like kind of psychedelic and the in the song you'll never forget right. as you remember yeah. it. Yeah. And then later you run into Jackson Brown. He's like, "Thanks a lot. Thought I was writing <laughs> you a nice little ballad and I now I'm like a poster boy for jacking off and coming too fast." It's like <laughs> oh, I was like, "Thank you, Jackson. Jackson, Come thank on. you. It's art." And and uh, and that was kind of like the beginning of wow, you can use these songs and really make the music a character. And that became the
2: Don't you thing. see people that are doing that, though, when you think that they're not doing that well? You, without, no, without naming names. I'm not no. going to judge people. I'm just saying, for me, I'll see movies sometimes and I'll be like, enough. Yeah, yeah Enough yeah. of you telling I get it. We're in the 70s. I get it. I get it. Your script is anemic. <laughs> and you want to bolster it with, uh, you know, knights in white satin or something. I get it. <laughs> Their great music is going to make your movie great.
3: Yeah. And, and they just use it for a minute while somebody's car door opens and then shuts. Yeah. Rather than, like, let the song play. Scorsese was always the guy that could give you a fast buzz of, like, here's a guy that knows music, and he's going to give you this Ronettes record, mm-hmm. and it's going to rip your soul out, you know, this because he knows how and to do that. And you're on a
2: cocaine run all of a sudden.
3: Indeed. With Ray. <laughs> yeah. You and Ray are jonesing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or or you're looking at that helicopter, and Nilsson is, is, has got that track going, and you're like, take me there. Cameron Crowe is a master of the
2: moment. The needle drops, the song comes on, and you're there, filled with teenaged longing. Lloyd Dobler holding up the boombox and say anything. Jerry Maguire's You Had Me at Hello. And comic perfection, Sean Penn's puckish stoner, Jeff Spicoli.
0: Just what in the hell do you think you're
2: doing? Learning about Cuba, having some food. Mr. Spicoli, you're on dangerous ground here. You're causing a major disturbance on my time.
1: I've been thinking about this, Mr. Hand. If I'm here and you're here, doesn't
3: that make it our time? certainly there's nothing wrong with a little feast on
1: our time.
2: After the break, Cameron Crowe tells me what John Cusack was like on the set of Say Anything. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing... That's Neil Young's Cinnamon Girl, used by Cameron Crowe to give an unsentimental, retro-rock feel to a montage sequence in 2011's We Bought a Zoo. Now, more from my conversation with Crowe about going from screenwriting success to taking full creative control of his films. What's the first one you directed?
3: Uh, Say anything. James L. Brooks, he said, like, OK, we have two other people that we've always talked about. And if, it, if the second one on that list, the second one says no, two. you really got to think about it. And the second one was, in <laughs> fact, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who, who said, you know, if I was prolific and did a movie a year, I would do this. But I'm doing um, Accidental Tourist and that's going to be my movie in the next two years. But I'm going to call the studio and tell them James Brooks is right and you should direct it. So that got me the directing job. I don't say anything. don't say anything. How did you find that the first time you directed, what was it like for you to direct Fucking actors? And how was that changed? shared to death. Really? Cusack is their lead. Cusack. It was, a, it was a wide shot in a nursing home. And he gave the speech. And I kind of turned around to everybody and said, I like it. It's good. I think we have it. And they kind of like, hey, come come, come over here. Let's get some liquid water. You have to do a thing called coverage. You have to shoot it from other angles. I'm like, okay, other angles. Yeah. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Are and, there and, angles, and terrified, everyone? Terrified. I went to the trailer and and just like was in a upright fetal position. And Clay Griffith, my good buddy, who's like been production designer for all the movies lately, Clay Griffith says, "You got to get outside of the trailer and you should go have lunch with the crew and tell the crew just by being there that you're with them and you're all making the movie together." And it was like the greatest advice. Wow. I left the trailer obviously. Never left hanging with the crew it's the only way to make a movie is to love your crew and to be with them and what and let about the actors serve you the actors uh, i I didn't realize until we were halfway through what great partners they could be, like John Mahoney and Cusack are like these chicago brawlers they're, yeah. they're like. They just want to tear yeah, your scene. Let's do 30 let's takes. Let's do 30 takes. Like Johnny would be like, let me do one where I throw John Mahoney across the table. I'm like, You're supposed to be kind of like the nonviolent guy. Well, let me just do one where I yeah. do this. And it's like, yeah, OK, let's do that. Now, let me make out with him. Let me kiss him yeah, on if, the mouth. If, yeah. <laughs> they don't throw him through the wall. We, we kind of found through collaboration like how to get a really good language, first-time director style on that movie. And I fell in love with directing actors. And like you worked
2: great. with him again since then. You worked with Cusack the one time.
3: Tried to a couple of times, and we've missed. But
2: I think that, so. There that's is still sometimes. There. For, so for you, there is is there <laughs> a, uh, a the notion that you have kind of a battery with them as a director and an actor, and you think well, I, I, can, I, I can get movies made with this guy? It's like Scorsese with Leo now. He's his De Niro. Yeah, have you thought about
3: that? I love that. That's you know why I'll always call you.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, you know.
3: And we knew after say anything what do you do Just a quick question yeah. when we were going over movies that we were going to talk about there were so many like super strong leading man movies like just you know double-fisted I'm going to give you the story I'm going to I'm going to hit my mark and give it to you man it was like there are not many of those movies made mm-hmm. anymore and mm-hmm. I saw them on that list and I was like damn yeah. studios used to make movies that were both personal and universal and 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 without a lot of fear it seemed and and so now there's these canon of movies that are that are feeling like they're from the distant past which is strange because we got to start making like these movies that are kind of our version of that today it's there's a lot of whimsical stories being told but i just like the like straight up let's tell you an american story quality then there was woodstock on the list of course <laughs> Which, Which I'm obsessed was with, equally uh, important in every way. It's like I'm obsessed with it too. And Monterey Pop, yeah, Monterey Pop is amazing for the the crowd shots. Monterey Pop has the most beautiful crowd shots. They're like I have to go back and watch that. Oh my god, they're so great. And they also tell you that thing of like, in 1967, it wasn't all the 60s. It was still like there were dudes from the 50s still there in the shots. You know, they go yeah. to the show too. They just, they didn't get the manual for the muumu to wear. They're still wearing like, you know, a little skinny black tie. And and, and you see these things at Monterey Pop and you just go, wow, somebody was there at the right time with the camera and just captured the, the generation changing and yeah. it was
2: f- crazy. Well, yeah, wood the, sucks the, amazing. The end of that, yeah, the end of that time where like, I, I always get so upset when people say the 60s was for nothing. But I want to get back to something you said, which was about Monterey and Woodstock, which is I'm on the board of the Hamptons Film Festival and we have our festival, so we do Gimme Shelter. And we find out that Mazel's is in Sag Harbor visiting his daughter who lives there. We bring him in to interview him. It's sold out and everybody comes in. And everybody, like no, there's no dope in the room, but you can smell
3: the dope <laughs> in the room. Everyone gets a contact high. This is really true, Alec. This is like the, the souvenirs of that era People are are gravitating to so strongly, like that's why they showed up for Give Me Shelter. I went to see Richie Furay, you know, who packed a a nice sized theater, singing Buffalo Springfield type stuff. It's like the, they people are there for the things that moved them in their lives. It's like these reboots of TV real. shows. It's like yes. bringing back Will and Grace. Yeah, but and if and if Will and Grace comes back with the feeling that you got that contact high the first time, and they have, you're like. They're in. That's a miracle. No, but, but w- w- <laughs> I know that you did
2: Reunion with uh, Elton John and— uh, um, Leon Russell. Leon Russell. Leon Russell. Oh, a couple maybe. of numbers from Leon. <laughs> I know that you did the Reunion with him. Why didn't you make more movies
3: like that, like concert films? Why don't you marry— We're, we're going to do it. You are. We're, we're doing it. Yeah. It just—the movies have taken me, like, a long time because they take a long time to write and then I, you know— maybe put one aside for a while and start a new one. So it's like uh, – as I've kind of streamlined that process a little bit, there's room to do music stuff. So we're, we're actually um, going to do a couple documentaries and a, few, and a few music things. One thing I guess I can say is um, we're going to do a little documentary with David Crosby, who I first met when I was 15. He, he, he's you know, more prolific now than he's been in a long time. He's at a point in his life where he's just got a lot to say – and i think with a with a, a a lack of a lot of talking heads and leaving it with him just telling you almost all a, just a very personal thing i'm going to tell you some stuff you'll agree with some stuff you won't but it's just between me and you this is my life like i love that tone yeah, that yeah. tone so we're going to do that with david crosby who's wonderful and i, and want I just him love to come it. do the show yeah well i, I, I begged him uh, you know the music you know listen we made almost famous and, and here's this note that comes in the mail like immediately and it's from Alec Baldwin I'm like fuck open it up and it's like I loved your movie I love Led Zeppelin I can't believe you put tangerine <laughs> yeah. in the movie That's the way Alec that yeah. that's the way That's the way That's the way and 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 I was like Alec Baldwin knows that's the way, and Zeppelin. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> fandom. I never lose that fandom. And that's you so don't. Good. And no, you don't. You you can't because I, I just think you have to sign on for the people that you love creatively and, and personally. Take the ride. But John Lennon a... can make mind games. He can make, you know, one of the in between records. Don't leave him. He's John Lennon. You know, it's like you just have to stay for the ride. Or you're a fair weather. Did you
2: get that from your mother?
3: Were you, uh, a little bit, yeah. You, your lack we were, of pretentiousness. Well,
2: you won an Academy Award for screenwriting, <laughs> as I reminded your children. Yes, thank you for that. You also told, called I, them I told your children. I told your children, I said your mother's in the hello. rock and roll hall of fame and your father won an Oscar. I said, you know, no pressure.
3: <laughs> But 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 but, but you you're doing well by the way. Tell them I said hi. <laughs> but but, you're, but, you're, but you but you but I you. I think it's super important, and I think you can even make movies that way. You can you can be loving with the point you're trying open. to make with a movie, and stay open, and and be open to your actors too, because generally, not every time, but generally a movie will have your spirit. You're, the movie will have your signature somewhere. Even even in movies where, like, you know, Penny Marshall came in at the last minute and replaced so-and-so. It's it's a Penny Marshall movie. The director's personality seeps in. Hallelujah. And, and I love playing with that. I love playing with, like, the sensibility and the feeling that the movie's going to give you. And music helps. The relationship on the set, like, when we've been able to work together, it's it's really been wonderful to have like the environmental version of directing where where we all are together kind of vibing and there are relationships that are separate and the characters are part of it and and we're doing this thing together i think that feeling gets into the movie so,
2: Jerry, Mag- would you say that Jerry Maguire, that blows things open for you? Yes. That's a big hit movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's You got number one on the call sheet there. Yeah. I just came from London shooting with him. And <laughs> no, no, it's a singular experience. Number one when you work with Tom is you can never complain that you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> and you can never complain that you're in pain. I saw it happen once. <laughs> Tom broke his leg in October. Like, really fucking smashed his leg to pieces. And he's back to work in like nine weeks or whatever yeah. the fuck it was. So, when you work with him, I love him. To I
3: love him. The best. So, you could do the movie. That obviously changes everything for you. Yeah. When he said yes, that, that did change things. But, but he said it in a way, Alec, that like, you know, your friends take your sense, and say, you know, if Tom Cruise says yes, you lose your power. You can't do a thing. It just becomes a freight train that's out of control and it's a, freight, it's a Hollywood freight train. You'll be lucky if you see the back of the caboose. Yeah. And, and you get terrified and then Tom Cruise calls from England and said, I read your script. I hope I'm the right guy for you. Let me come out and read it for you. <sighs> and oh, you're like, wow. wait. You want to come out and read it? He's, yeah. Wh- why Why not know if it's right for both of us? Let me read it for you. See if I'm the guy for you. And he was that guy from the moment he got off the plane. And you worked oh, with no, him forever. twice. You yeah. worked with him again. And, and and hope to work with him again.
2: Now, When you do the movie and the movie becomes a success because you, uh, you, you, know, you make small movies and like everybody, you start off in one place and then you end up in another place. How does that change once the movie makes a lot of money and you're directing movies with big movie stars? Do people like sit back and go, whatever you want. Cameron, whatever you want, baby. You do things get easier.
3: You do well we never knew that Jerry Maguire was going to do that well. It was the same old thing, you know, of is it an in-between movie? Because it's sports and it's also a romance, and sports guys don't want to see romance. And yeah, right. romance is We're not, confusing uh, people. You're here. confusing people. So there was a big there's a big issue about, you know, is this one of those Robin Williams movies that, you know, and you're like, I, I just remember being in these rooms when everybody said, you don't have a star, what are we going to do? Now we have one, and they're like, what are we going to do? Yeah, we have these stars. So, uh, you know, over Thanksgiving weekend, Bob Cooper cut together, uh, like a, a, one of the executives who just arrived, I think, yeah. cut together a version that was both. And we watched it, and it was like, fuck. Football can live with Renee Zellweger running through a street and you're feeling love and romance. It's like it can work. And it was a very, very interesting thing because like it was the first Tom Cruise movie that had like not a high want to see. So they were doing testing and they were going like, you know, you're going to get killed by uh, the preacher's wife. It's coming out the same way. You're going to get killed. You know, this is a changing of the guards. This is a new day. And, you know. It's going to be Preacher's Wife. Tom was doing the Kubrick movie already at that time. Came from London to New York and said, boys, I'm going to do some promotion. And he started on a Monday, did Rosie, did Larry King, did everything. By the end of the week, our numbers were way yeah, high. He ran the Preacher's table. Wife was starting to go down and he basically blew us a kiss and went back to England and the movie opened. It was the brawn of him coming to say, OK, guys – I act for free. This is what you pay me for. Right. I'm gonna give them everything I got for this wow. movie. And then when that movie
2: comes out and that's a huge hit, that's when you decide you want to do well. Omaha. You, you feel like that you're was, ready. That to was do the, the back movie. pocket.
3: Now we can now we can do like the labor of love. And they were great. We did it for DreamWorks and Spielberg said shoot every word, which I'd never heard before or since. <laughs> and uh, we started with the casting
2: imperatives there. Well, oh, no, finish what you were going to say. We started to run we long. We started
3: to run long, and, and I got a message back like, well, Steven says shoot every other word for a while. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. The, no, there was no casting imperative. In fact, you'll dig this. Um, it was going to be Brad Pitt as the Billy Crudup character. Right. And um, we, we worked on it, and it just—he he started to drift away. I still haven't had the definitive conversation with him on why it didn't work out, but it didn't work out. It happens. But somewhere I have Brad Pitt— and Natalie Portman trying out for Penny Lane. And the portrait of the two of them together is, is riveting but a completely different movie. Wow! And Spielberg said, cast anybody you want as long as he's right. And it came down to Billy and Christian Bale. And they both were great. And it was kind of like, I'm going to go with Billy. And he learned how to play guitar in six weeks and was the guy of destiny. Oh. He was the guy of destiny. And they let me make it, you know, with, with all the so called bells and whistles, which really was being being able to shoot it with John Toll, and get all the John sets Tull. right, and go back to San Diego. shot? It's complicated with yeah. It's you Toll, know, the it's only amazing. person to win
2: the Oscar back to back years for
3: Braveheart, Legends of the Fall, and Braveheart. And Braveheart, yeah. I love John. He's great, and I think he worked on Monterey Pop or Woodstock or one of those. <laughs> right. I mean, he right. he actually was there shooting for part of that era. So he knew what real was. It? He knew what authenticity was. And Led Zeppelin said yes and let us use the music, which was incredible. Oh, wow. To go to England and show the movie to Led Zeppelin with the editor and sit in a small room on the one day that Jimmy and Robert, like, spend together going over Zeppelin business. We're in the back row. It's just like five of us. And every time the two heads of Jimmy Page and Robert Plant would come together to talk, talk <laughs> about something, we'd be like, what are, they, what, are they, what are they talking about? What are they talking about? And, and – um, and then when it was over, they, uh, they were kind of emotional. And Robert Plant said, I have a, I have a bottle of Quaaludes. I've been saving since 1969. I'm going to take one tonight. <laughs> and then we went across the street and talked about the music. And Jimmy Page says, I would like one of our acoustic songs, one more of our acoustic songs in there. And I'll let you have it for free. Just find a place for it. And we're like, damn. You're supposed to be the people that say no music for yeah, anyone. No. And so they said like the movie's coming from the right place and how great is Jeff Buckley and they just started talking about Jeff Buckley page and plant like fans exactly what we're talking about like the way you want to hear musicians you love talk about the musicians they love and it was Jeff Buckley who unfortunately died playing immigrant song I, I've heard. Uh, I, I loved all the musicians that helped us on Almost Famous because they all pitched in. They all gave us like a good price on the music and loved that we played so much of it. Writer, director,
2: journalist Cameron Crowe. After the break, Cameron Crowe on what it feels like after the success of Jerry Maguire and Almost Famous to have a movie fall flat in the eyes of the outside world plus the story of his definitive interview with the great Billy Wilder, which became the book Conversations with Wilder. This song is Led Zeppelin's Tangerine, which Crow uses to amp up the nostalgia as the tour bus drives away at the end of Almost Famous.
1: at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A
0: wine country, huh?
1: A Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
0: Wait! Did we just invent California?
1: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
2: This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing... That's Led Zeppelin's Misty Mountain Hop, also from Almost Famous. Another great use of song, capturing the swelling pride of Will, the Cameron Crowe character, when he loses his virginity. Now back to the real Cameron Crowe on making a movie that is not a hit. Is it painful? Is it soul-searching? Do you get in a, in, in a minivan and drive cross country and great, meditate? It's a great question. What do you do in the wake of the one where you yeah. sit there and go, I miscalculated something?
3: You definitely do that. Um, but you you also know that sometimes time is, is the component that's not in play yet. Right. And over time stuff that I've done and movies that I've appreciated that other people have done, time adds a little something. Mm-hmm. Sometimes takes it away. But it adds something. So some of the movies, like Elizabethtown got a strange reaction when it first came out. I, I love Elizabethtown. I love what we did uh-huh. I, I love the purpose of Elizabethtown. Uh-huh. not everybody got it. but as it, it's for my dad as as almost famous was very much a kind of portrait of my mom uh-huh. I wanted to I wanted to say something about my dad and um, as time goes on more and more people really get that movie like really get it yeah. like when people started to say to me, I saw your movie or I read something that you wrote and it kind of changed my life. It took me a long time to, to kind of wrap my head around that and then it became something that I was so proud of. And if you're able to just like touch people in a, in a certain way, they remember you forever. They remember the movie or the line or the character forever. So I, I just love the game And, and you realize play. they're all not going to perform the they're same They're all not going to – so, so the thing business. is like Kirsten Dunst's character in Elizabethtown for example like understood – Less understood, now kind of understood again. What's the acronym the guy came up with to describe her character? Manic Pixie Dream Girl. <laughs> yeah. Well, so is Lucille Ball. Right, so is, right. you know.
2: Right. Mary Tyler Moore.
3: Totally Mary Tyler Moore. And, um, and that character was patterned after a real person. So it's kind of authentic, too. But the thing is, it's disappointing. But then you never lose the desire to, like, get back on the horse and just, like, you know,
2: do but it stand again. But staying doing what you're doing, meaning... And maybe it doesn't perform because it is a business according to plan. But you go right back and do it the same way you do it. You don't change the way you do it.
3: I've, when I first started out, like given the opportunity to do it, my thing was like, I want to make movies about the people that never get movies made about them. And I still believe that. I still like say anything was that for me. Like a guy like Lloyd, I mean, it was patterned after my next door neighbor, really, who um, was just a completely unique, soulful guy, lived died at a very young age, was like a young motivational speaker, and was a fledgling kickboxer. I was trying to figure out the main male character in the script and this guy knocked on my door and said, I'm from Alabama. I'm here in town. My father's under investigation for income tax and I'm going to be doing some kickboxing later tonight. Would you like to come see me? And I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm busy trying to come up with a creative character. Wait a minute <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait, come back, yeah, come back, and that that guy actually i didn't go watch him kickbox i- mi- I said I might and go out to like San Bernardino and watch him kickbox i didn 't make it next morning, I hear like boom in our apartment place, you know boom, 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 what 's happening? I go downstairs he 's got a bag hanging from the pipes in the in the parking lot, parking garage, and he's working out again, and he turns around and Guy's black and blue. He was decimated in his fight, and and I said, I guess it didn't go too well. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, I'm back at it next Friday, and I, I think I'm going to do well. And I want you there. And he, and I was like, this is a warrior for optimism. I love this and guy. Did you go? And this is life. No, I didn't go. <laughs> Why? But I went and hung with him a lot, and we watched a lot together. So he, you're he, not making a movie about him. Um. In the end, in the end, Lloyd was... Based on it. Diane yeah. was supposed to be the main character when we first started doing Say Anything. The Ioni Sky character was the right. main character. L- Lloyd kind of took over along with Lowell, my next door neighbor. And, um, and that was another thing. It's like real life is going to deliver you some of the best stories. Like you just uh. sit tight and listen and watch because uh. life is the best writer. Now, of course, you know, when you love movies classic films,
2: whether they're in the TCM wheelhouse or not, people will say to me, who, you know, who do you want to work with? Who do you want to work with? I said, well, who do you think I want to work with? I want to work with Bogart. I want to work with John Huston, William Holden. Mm. Mm. I, just, when, I just watched Bridge on the River Quiet the other day uh, again and blah, blah, blah. So, so for you, how does the connection happen? How do you get the hook into Wilder and meet Wilder?
3: You know, I, I I fell in love with his stuff when we were working on Jerry Maguire. Right. I, I just fell in love with his stuff, and and the apartment spoke to me in such an amazing yeah. way. I got like a vintage poster, and I wanted to go visit Billy Wilder and have him sign it, and I did, and he was kind of where at, at his office uh, in Beverly Hills. So you're an established director who just wants to meet him. Yeah, yeah. And What's so that? there was a there was a uh, appointment made like two o'clock. So I go to this little office building. You're so like me. And uh, and I have like my poster and a tube and everything and two goes and two-thirty goes and three goes, three-thirty and uh, I'm getting ready to leave and like four o'clock, here comes Billy Wilder like crossing the street and I'm like, excuse me, Mr. Wilder, Cameron Crowe, I'm here. CAA was supposed to. Call you to tell you that I had an appointment. Like, I got no call. I got no call from CAA. Why don't they call me for work? Why don't they call me for work? <clears throat> if they call me, they should call me for work. Well, okay, who am I signing this poster? You want to sign a poster? What to sign a poster? So, Dear Cameron, get me a fucking job. I go up to his office and um, he signs the poster and starts talking to me about Cary Grant. And I'm like, I'm sitting in fucking Billy Wilder's office and he's telling me Cary Grant stories. Yeah. Thinks I'm like a PA for somebody at CAA. I, he, I hasn't quite put it together. Right. Starts telling me a little attention. shit about like they should have called me for this and that, and you know, Schindler's List was mine at a certain point, and like that's great. I go, Mr. Wilder, I'm making a movie and myself, and I would like you to play a part in it. I am not an actor. Hire an actor. I'm good. no, but it's great. It's like a, it's like you're a sports agent's mentor. Uh, Okay, 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 okay. You come and find me. How much I do gonna it. Pay I come me? and I do it. I do it. I do it. I, do it. I, do it. I come and I was so happy. I went to get some cigars. I brought him back some cigars. Jerry Maguire comes together. We're in the rehearsals. I haven't been able to get a hold of him. Tom Cruise is standing there, and Cruise goes, "When do we get to meet Billy Wilder?" I go, "Let me call him." <laughs> so I call his office, and you know, miracle, he picks up the phone. Hello. I go, uh "Mr. Wilder, it's Cameron Crow." Whoa, who? <laughs> I'm the guy, I'm doing this movie with Tom Cruise, and uh, we talked about a part, and um, I'm I'm just at the rehearsals, <laughs> so maybe you can come and just be a part of it, you know? I'm going to piss ice water on you right now. I'm not an actor, hire an actor, you're bothering an old man, the, I'm, I'm going to say goodbye to you now, goodbye, click. And now, like, Tom Cruise is standing there with Bonnie Hunt, like, yeah. when's he coming? Yeah. Out? And I said, Billy Wilder, going to dad. I think he's not in a good mood today. And, um, you know, I'll try and let it's like raining and it's a terrible kind of moody situation. Cruz, who you know, goes, let's go to him right now. Damn. Come on. Where's your keys? Let's go. So now I'm driving through the rainy streets with Tom Cruise going, please don't let me get in an accident because it is. Tom Cruise. Number one's in the car. And number one's in the car, traveling. So we get to the office. Thank goodness Billy Wilder is still there. He opens the door. He looks annoyed. Then he looks next to me and sees it's Tom Cruise and suddenly says, come in, <laughs> come in, come in, come in. What took you so long? And proceeds to flirt with Tom Cruise the whole time we're there, like profet- just loving, lashing him with nose. Like Tom's like, we really want you to play this part. No. No, you must hire an actor. No, yes. no, 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 no. I mean why would I want to be in a movie with you Tom Cruise? Why? Close? Tell me, why Why would you make such a movie? What is the purpose? I'm going, oh, fuck. Billy Wilder, do not unravel the movie in rehearsal with Tom Cruise because Tom's like, tell him about the movie. I'm like, it's sports agent. and I kind of like tell him the story and Wilder's listening and is not sparkling with love for this story and Cruise is looking at him and looking at me and I'm going, I'm now going to, everything's going to be shit because of this. Wilder goes, how will you have uh, sympathy for such a, a, a sports agent? How will you have sympathy? I go, well, you know, a, a little kid tells him to fuck off in the beginning and his heart breaks and he, he – he... I think Lemon should have had more problems with him in the apartment. I think Lemon should have had a limp. So something like a limp would have helped us with the sympathy and and Cruz is looking at me and I'm going, well, I think Jeremy is a very sympathetic character and I think you're going to love it. I think you're going to love it. OK, OK, OK. Nice to meet you. And nice to meet you, especially you," he says to Tom. "Yeah, yeah. I'm delighted and and delighted." And we leave, and uh, and of course he doesn't play the part. We hire the the business affairs guy guy at TriStar, who is so not an actor, but was fantastic. Movie comes out, first week goes by, phone rings. It says Billy Wilder on the on the caller ID, so I'm shitting already. I pick up. Hello, Mr. Cameron Crowe. I enjoyed your picture. Who is this guy who played my part? (laughs) Well, he wasn't really nice. He was good. He was good. I liked him very much. I I liked uh, the Billy Bob Thornton movie this year a little bit more than yours, but uh, yours is good. Yours is good. Uh, Come and visit me if you'd like to do uh, something for your column. And I go, I don't really have a column, but I'm going to come visit you. He says, same place. I'll be there uh, tomorrow. I got to get get a column. Yeah so I went and just started interviewing him for my column, column which yeah. didn't exist yeah you're an army archer and turned into uh the book which he he oh. argued against like do do they really care about me do they really want a book of me talking do they really does this generation really care and in the course of these interviews Alec like you know, Sam Mendes would show up and Curtis Hansen would come along on some of these things and, and, and Jerry Moss, Herb Alpert's partner, mm-hmm. was was uh, Billy's, you know, music friend and he would come along on stuff and Billy just started to really get into the idea of this book project. And he, he said one night, and this was like a huge thing, uh, we went out to dinner with his wife. And Audrey was amazing. And Audrey goes to the bathroom. So now it's just the two of us. I've been interviewing Billy Wilder for about a year and a half and he goes, OK, is this book really going to come out? And I said, yeah, of course. And He said, because if this was all just for you, it's fine. And I realized he was basically telling me, you know, if you, if you wanted film school with Billy Wilder, right. that's, that's cool. me. Oh, that's cool. That's oh. cool. But what I sensed was, I'd like to read it before I check out. You know, like I'd like the book to come out at a point where When's I live in the same out? world, because yeah. I'm not the youngest guy in the world. Oh. So I threw it into overdrive. We finished the book. He loved the book, Alec. It was great. Vanity oh. Fair asked him to, right before he died, asked him what what was on his uh, bedstand, and he said, "Conversations with Wilder." A fitting tribute
2: to two incredible talents. In his films, Cameron Crowe has used songs from Simon & Garfunkel, Yes, Rod Stewart, Lou Reed, Peter Gabriel, Paul McCartney, and several cuts from another band we both love, The Who. For example, getting in tune in the opening scenes of Jerry Maguire... Underlining Tom Cruise's intensifying emotions as he writes his mission statement. As an actor who's worked with Cameron Crowe, I can confirm he's the greatest partner you could possibly have in filmmaking. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing.